0: What's up, everyone? This is episode number 98 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, I hope everyone is doing well today. I'm here. I'm sleepy, but uh, I'm here some of you West Coast people don't realize just how fortunate you are because this week the Pacers started a five game road trip out west and I'll tell you what I absolutely hate missing games I, I just I want to be that guy that watches every game I want to see every minute um, even when you know it's a blowout and the scrubs are in I want to see how they're playing I want to see what they're doing. So, um, I hate missing games. So every year when they have these kind of road trips, I try to stay up. Um, sometimes it involves some creative maneuvering, like taking a day off from work and every year it's becoming more and more difficult. And then right now is not a good time at all to take off from work. We've got midterm, so I'm not doing that. Um, so my plan this week was just to tough it out. I'm just going to stay up late I'm going to be sleep deprived. I'm going to be um, caffeinated and I'm going to tough it out. Well, game one was Monday night against the Kings. Um, I tried to stay up. Uh, it was a disaster for myself and also the Pacers. I dozed in and out. So I was there, but I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't sleep well after. Um, then I you know, got up at 5 a.m. the next day, like I always do. And I felt like crap. Um, so that didn't go well. Tuesday then was game two, the day, day after they played the Warriors at 1030. I decided to stay up for about half of that one and uh, would have loved to have seen the end because they eventually came back and won, but um, I was a little more functional the next day. So I guess I have to sacrifice that fandom for a little bit of functionality throughout the day, but uh, we'll see. They're in Portland on Thursday and I've got a decision to make. So East Coast people, you probably know my struggle. West Coast people, just know that I am jealous of you. All right. Well, speaking of my Pacers, there was a big trade that went down about an hour before I started recording today. Um, there were multiple teams involved, and it looks like they're still working out all the details. You know, Obviously, the centerpiece is James Harden ended up in Brooklyn, but uh, you'll hear plenty of commentary on that in other places. I'm not going to bother talking much about that potential train wreck just yet, Um I've had a lot of people messaging me asking for my reaction to this deal. And I think I've talked a little bit about the Victor situation on here before. It seemed pretty obvious that he didn't want to be in Indiana anymore, even though he was starting to say all the quote-unquote right things. Um, I said I was ready for him to move on. But in all actuality, I probably wasn't. Because um, I'm, I'm still thinking of that 2017-2018 Pacers season. Um, it was a team that... You know, wasn't expected to win 30 games. They really overachieved. They made the playoffs. They took LeBron to seven games in the playoffs. Um, And Victor was a big part of that. And that was the most fun team that I've watched in a long, long time in a Pacers uniform. Um, But at the same time, like I said, Victor just didn't want to be here anymore. So I knew he would be shipped out sooner or later. That day is today. Um, Now to get Karis LeVert in return... I like that move a lot. So some of my good hobby friends know that I'm pretty high on Karis Levert. He does need the ball a lot in order to generate offense. I'd like to see his off ball game improve a bit, but he's yet another option in addition to Brogdon and Warren when he comes back, Turner and Sabonis. And um, the the prospect of that is pretty exciting. So I think Brogdon's playing way too many minutes right now. This could also help to absolve that whole situation So it's a win-win overall. It solves multiple issues. Um, I don't expect him to suit up Thursday against Portland, but I will be front and center Saturday night to see his debut in a Pacers uniform against the Suns. Okay, uh, I'm going to skip my mail segment for this week, and it's not that I don't want to talk about mail. In fact, I've got a couple things I could definitely talk about, including a one-on-one of a coach. Uh, That's right, a coach card. But I want to leave enough room for today's conversation, which is something I think you'll enjoy. Some of you might remember Dan, or uh, Super Dan, as he's known on the Blowout Forums, from episode 19. Well, earlier this week, the two of us had a chat about 90s basketball and baseball inserts and parallels. He pitched the idea to me at some point. I really haven't seen it discussed at length anywhere else, so I said, you know what, let's try it. I really enjoyed it. I thought it went really well, so... I'll have that for you here in just a moment. Before we get there, though, I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are costs that go into running a podcast, so I signed up for their affiliate program. Whether you want a Trey Young signed basketball, a Panini Phoenix football set, or any form of new sports gear, there's a good chance that Fanatics has it. So if you'd like to help support the show in this way, Go to www.tinyurl.com WMPod and click that Fanatics logo at the top. Shop as planned, and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com WMPod. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum
1: podcast.
0: All right, Dan, it's good to talk to you as always for longtime listeners of the show. The last time I talked to you um, on air, at least was episode 19. I believe we talked about uh, a bit about your collecting background and also some about investigating altered cards. You were the blowout poster that uncovered the dealer that was looking for engineering students that could rig an industrial paper cutter to trim small amounts off of a baseball card. I think we've also talked about some of the Derek Jeter rookies that you were working with. How are you doing?
1: Hey, Kyle. I'm doing well, thank you.
0: Good to be back. So over time, I'd say we've become pretty good friends. I've never met you in person, but we text daily, and that's more than I can say for a lot of people. Not long ago, we were chatting, and you suggested to me that you'd like to do an episode that compared 90s parallels across our respective sports, basketball and baseball, and I thought that was a good idea. And I have my reasons why. Um, I know you're very much a utilitarian thinker, and I mean that as a compliment, by the way. So I want to hear your take on why this kind of an exercise is useful for, first off, this show, and then the hobby as a whole.
1: Yeah, so I think it's useful for this show because you know a lot of the cards from basketball, football, and baseball, even hockey too, depending on the brand, from the 90s, which to me, you know, it's, it's not just me looking back with rose-colored glasses either. This really was, for me, kind of the height of the modern hobby because you have competition with all these different brands making cards better. You know, um, the ingenuity, the craftsmanship, the creativity that go into the 90s inserts and parallels. There's a bigger break between, say, the late 80s, early 90s, and the late 90s in terms of just the differences, the vast differences than anything today. I mean, you could pick up a a 2020 prism card today and i i would dare say there's not a lot of technological changes from a 2012 prism mm-hmm. card but if you look at a 2000 card like a tops chrome card and then look at something 8 years before that 1992 there there really is a huge difference um right. and, and i just think that a lot of people today are into the basketball market obviously your podcast is basketball um but perhaps they don't know what's out there in baseball and i think uh vice versa as well um you know a lot of the, the baseball guys like myself are just discovering basketball and we might have known a little bit when we collected but um you know i think it, this is going to be an educational experience for me too learning about the basketball side of the the mid to late 90s yeah, and I think
0: part of um, understanding the history of basketball cards is is to compare the different sets or eras to things that we've seen, like you said, with with cards from other sports. Because people have to remember here, basketball might be king of the card world right now, but it definitely hasn't always been that way. And um, you know, it just doesn't have the resume that a lot of these other sports have. It doesn't have the same time frame. You know, we've had baseball cards on a consistent basis for. Roughly a hundred years, we've only had basketball from 1969 on, at least consistently more, um, and then we've had some breaks even then. So uh, we're obviously not going to hit on all inserts and parallels. There are some big ones that we're leaving out. Um, instead, I asked Dan to send me a list of some of his favorite '90s inserts or parallels from his collection. So we're going to work on some of the ones that um, he owns and go from there. And I will say Dan did a good job of picking a nice variety and some cool looking ones. You won't see any lame parallels on this list like um, Supreme Court or starting nine where they just slap some different foil and a serial number on the front of the card. There is some good stuff in here. So I'm looking forward to this because I know I'll definitely learn a lot about the baseball side, but it might also give me some context or perspective on the basketball side of things as well. So let's jump in. I'm going to go in chronological order here. Let's jump into the first card that you sent me, at least sent me a picture of, and that is from 1996 Topps Chrome, and that is a Derek Jeter refractor, okay? So tell me a um, little bit about this card.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, this, it is the card to get in the 96 Topps Chrome set, and for, for Derek Jeter collectors, 93 is, is considered his rookie cards, okay? and I think that's, that's pretty well established. But there's many collectors, myself included. And this is a little more controversial. And I just want to kind of preface that by saying I'm a Derek Jeter collector and a New York Yankees collector. Um, probably, probably Jeter first, then Yankees. But, uh, so 92 to 96 is roughly what we call the, the Jeter rookie era. 93 were his first pack inserted, uh, major league uniform cards. But obviously he won the, American League Rookie of the Year in 96. It was the, you know, he was that great young rookie on the uh, 96 World Champion Yankees. And this was the, the first year of Topps Chrome. And, you know, it was a card that I never had when I was younger. And I'd always wanted to, to pick one up. And about six or seven years ago, I think it was, I finally picked up a copy. And it was one that I wanted to make sure didn't have any refractor lines and didn't have any greening. Or hulking, whatever. I'm not sure. I know you did an episode on that. I did, yeah. I talked to the
0: creator of chromium cards, which, although he was even kind of stumped by the whole thing.
1: So, the, unfortunately, the 96 tops chrome baseball, like, like the basketball, cause, you know, I've seen the, the Kobe Bryant one. Some of them are awful, unfortunately, in the basketball, the hulking or greening. Cheater can be blown out too, like that. And, um, e- even, you know, six or seven years ago, they, so they showed that. And uh, I, I made sure I picked one out without it. And, you know, thankfully, even to this day, it, it doesn't show any signs of that. So, so
0: now we talked, you mentioned a little bit about Derek Jeter's rookie cards and um, basketball collectors are used to just having anytime a rookie's drafted, that's his rookie card, whether he plays then or not. Um, you know, we've had examples like Ben Simmons didn't play his entire rookie year, but that's when he was drafted. That's his rookie. Same thing with Blake Griffin. Baseball, you know, especially because there's minor leagues and you have to work your way up no matter if you're a top prospect or not, um, it works a lot different. So we might want to talk a little bit about rookie cards in baseball and kind of the evolution that they've had from the 80s and on. So can you tell me a little bit about um, that change and, and what that's looked like over time?
1: Yeah. Um, so in the, in the late eighties, you know, in the early nineties, that kind of height of the junk wax era, everybody was going after rookie cards. I was very young at the time. So I, you know, I do have some memories of it. What people would do is they would, they would hoard multiple copies of these base rookie cards. You know, one example I remember, um, was an 89, uh, tops, Greg Jeffries <laughs> card. And I remember, uh, kids trying, it was a prospect on the Mets. He had a, You know, it never materialized to what his um, projections were, but he had a decent major league career, you know. Um, But he was projected to be the next big thing on the Mets, and and kids were hoarding his cards. The the rookie card craze kind of, I I would say, not cratered, but um, went down along with the hobby itself during the 94 strike, even a little before that, you know, the, the peak of the overproduction era. Was around uh, ninety ninety one, and um, but I remember like the cards to have were always the rookie cards when I was a kid. You know, everybody wanted that not only that Greg Jeffries, but even a little before my time uh, was the uh, eighty six Donruss Conseco was a huge card mm-hmm. um, during the ninety eight home run chase. Uh, the eighty five Tops McGuire shot to unheard of heights. Uh, I think it was trading around uh, two hundred to two hundred fifty dollars, maybe even more at at one point.
0: That's a USA card too, right?
1: Yeah, that's that is a USA card. Yeah, USA baseball card. It's not even in his major league uniform. Um, the first major league McGuire card in a top set was the '87 tops. So, um, and and also of course the the traded sets, which were like updates to the regular top sets. I believe the first one was in '81. So I know uh,
0: you know you mentioned hoarding copies of rookies. That sounds. Um, strikingly familiar to what we have now. Um, We saw in the early 90s with Shaquille O'Neal people, there was the classic exclusive and then there were the redemption sets. And it kind of seemed like um, even prior to that with David Robinson in basketball, Manufacturers were trying to get a competitive advantage, right, in releasing the rookie at certain times. You know, it used to be the rookie would come out after his rookie year, and then they decided, well, maybe we should bring them out a little earlier. So, like you mentioned also earlier, that competition was a good thing. Was that the idea with the traded sets, or was that just an entirely different thing?
1: So the traded sets were basically an update for players who were, what, like the name suggests, traded from one team to another. Uh, you know, if, obviously, if a, a a major star player got traded uh, in his base top set, which were printed before the season. you would have him in his previous uniform. so it was a way for tops to get those players into the the new uniforms for and to meet demand and also to get the young rookies uh, in into the sets.
0: So eventually baseball um, seems like they try to maneuver out of that with the introduction of the rookie card logo and I know that was around 2005 or 2006. Um, I've talked about when I talked about actually, I talked about 2005 2006 tops products. I talked about the Carmen Electra Cutout card. And I mentioned the Alex Gordon cutout card. Well, that was rookie card logo related. Um, Don't ask me to try and explain all that now. I know everyone's still confused a little bit, I think, about the rookie card logo. But let's go back to this chrome card um, because I want to try and make some comparisons to basketball. You did already a little bit when talking about greening. So the technology was the same as far as the reception of the set. From what I've read, the baseball set really wasn't received all that well. And the odds for refractors in hobby boxes were one in 12, which means that there were um, two per box. And you can compare that to basketball, which was also one in 12, but there were 20 packs in those boxes. So um, the basketball boxes ended up with one. One thing that kind of sticks out to me is that visually this set doesn't resemble the 96 or the 97 chrome versions of basketball. Whereas in later years, they would try and keep the flagship similar. And we see Panini does that as well. But baseball, it, it was different. Do you recall anything basketball, maybe,
1: that it would look like? Just that, um, you know, that both sets, and I, I think this was the first chrome basketball set, too. The fact that the flagship now had a premium, paralleled chromium set. Um, and, and you're right, even the baseball wasn't really appreciated. At the time, um, I remember going in. We had a nice hobby shop. Um, my dad would, would play ping pong with the owner. <laughs> the guy would actually clear off cards off the ping pong table while I, you know, looked through uh, the dollar and two dollar boxes. And um, I, I remember everybody wanted finest more so than chrome, which sounds you know crazy today when when you look at uh, the demand for the the chrome stuff versus the finest. But finest had a pedigree, right? Whereas the chrome did not. And uh, Finest was more expensive too. Well, and that was actually the same way with basketball
0: for a little while. People, you know, you remember the the 93 Finest, we had the Penny Hardaway. Then 94, we had Jason Kidd and Grant Hill. Um, So people were used to that branding. Um, 95, we had Kevin Garnett, which for the life of me, I still don't know why they didn't do refractors for rookies that year, but they didn't. And then... Yeah, we had the, the Kobe cards in 96 and Kobe, Iverson, that whole class. Um, so talking about the Jeter, I mean, technically, I guess we could say Jeter was a veteran. I mean, people have different thoughts about that. If we look at Jeter and really any of the big veterans from this set, do baseball collectors have such a thing as like first chrome, maybe like basketball would have with uh, first prism silver? You know, we do that with Curry and LeBron and Kobe with the 2012 set. Is Does baseball do anything like that or do collectors gravitate to that?
1: I, I can tell you that I value this card as, you know, Jeter's first Chrome card, plus it falls within his his rookie years. It, it is a set that I think will appreciate more over time. And uh, you'd have to ask some of the individual player collectors if they put some any, any value in particular on that. Uh, there are the key cards, though, have shot up recently. You know, Griffey actually for most of the the late 90s stuff, Griffey is actually worth more than Jeter now, with, with the exception of the 96, because that still falls within the kind of the, the Jeter rookie era that, that I mentioned. Um, I don't see it the same way, like because I know with 2012 Prism, somehow this thing caught fire in the hobby in general. Um, and, and I think you and I were actually kind of hip to it before many others were like, oh, man, this might actually spread to other sports. And I think this is also a good reason we're, we're talking about an earlier era in making some comparisons here, the basketball, because I, I think basketball, actually, I don't think it is. Basketball right now is the epicenter of the hobby, at least the modern hobby. A- everything seems to start, if you want to even go further, I think it starts with LeBron. Mm -hmm. moves out from there um, and and almost like a ripple effect throughout the hobby. And and certainly baseball's felt it. You know, the the 2012 Mike Trout prism, that's not even a rookie. But in PSA 10, those sell now for about $500.
0: Yeah, not only that. I mean, they had the... I know if I say it's unlicensed, I know people are going to correct me. It had the Players Association license, but there's no Angels logo anywhere on that card. Um, And yet it's still... You know, risen above that, whereas most other Panini sets are just discarded um, because people can't stand the lack of licensing. All right, so let's talk about the, the next card that you had on there. We're not going to spend a lot of time with. We kind of actually covered it already, um, but you had the 1996 Finest Refractor of Derek Jeter. Um, mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about how that pedigree was already there with Finest. Um, so I'm assuming in baseball, this is still the go-to card or has it been trumped? Whereas um, I feel like Topps Chrome, the Kobe now has kind of trumped the finest.
1: The, the Topps Chrome cheater is worth much, much more than either of the two 96 finest cheaters now. I own it in a PSA 9 and I, I graded that one myself quite a few years ago. It's probably goes, if I haven't checked the price in a while, I, I'd say around 2500 I could be a little off on that. I don't really follow the prices as much as some some collectors of the stuff that I'm keeping anyway. Whereas the <laughs> finest cards and I have the the silver and the bronze, he had two in that set that year. Um the in PSA 9 they'll probably go for about, you know, 3 to 400. Wow. Yeah. so you can see it's a significant difference in price. Uh and scarcity too. Uh the finest seem to be more readily found on the secondary market, uh whereas the the chrome is not.
0: All right, so our next card that we want to look at has uh, no basketball parallel at all, but I think it's worth talking about because it is the 1996 Select Certified Mirror Gold, and it's not a Jeter, it's a, a Tino Martinez. So the reason why I do think this is worth talking about is because modern basketball collectors are seeing this brand select and it's been around in basketball for a while, Um, but they're seeing kind of the emergence and people are choosing it as Prism keeps keeps rising. They're choosing to go to Select, and we've seen some influencers talk about Select as well. So can you tell me a little bit about, I'm assuming Select has baseball origins then, right?
1: Yeah, it does. And the, the first Select set was 1993, and it was kind of a a, a score imprint that was a higher end version of score, not paralleled, a separate set. Uh, I didn't collect it that year. The first year of Select I collected was 94. I distinctly remember 94 Select. And then in 95, they introduced a, a chromium like. It, it wasn't the chromium, you know, the patented process of chromium, but they, if you hold the cards in hand, they have a, a very chromium like appearance. And that was select certified, but the '96 set is a thing of hobby lore today. The '96 select certified baseball set. I have I have the Tino Martinez mirror gold card. Okay, and and I'll just talk a bit about the the parallels. So today, you know, you look at Panini basketball and. Um, you know, all the different, I forget how many different parallels there are in, in Prism today, but it, it's got to be like like 30 or something, right? So Select Certified not only had its own rainbow, so they had base cards, which were kind of like silver reflective cards, no refraction. Then they had red, artist proof, which had just a little artist proof stamp, blue. But then the, the three big ones were mirror red, mirror blue, and mirror gold. And they were limited uh, to 90, 45, although Mirror Blue has been to some dispute whether it's 45 or 60. And Mirror Gold was just 30 copies. Not serial numbered, but um, there's never been any backdoor examples of these to my knowledge. And those Mirror Gold cards are, uh, you know, it, it would be, and I know you don't really, you can't really draw equivalent to the the green pmgs because they are in a class of their own but uh, these for many baseball collectors are the holy grail okay i I think even if i were worth millions i would not buy um a mirror gold Derek jeter i I think pwcc uh, probably i think a year or two maybe two years ago sold one it went for over a hundred thousand so the the jeter card is is kind of considered the grail for for many jeter collectors so i you collect Yankees, and what I try to do is limit myself to one rare and beautiful parallel or insert for each of the major Yankee championship players. Obviously, Tino Martinez, first baseman, played a huge role in, in the Yankee dynasty years, so I, I picked up his, uh, his mirror gold parallel. All right, so we're going to move into some cards now that have some
0: very definitive basketball equivalents to them, at least the majority of these do. I did want to cover some of the other ones though, just so we could get some background on some, either some basketball brands or some, you know, some brands that have been very popular recently, like with Chrome, we've seen the emergence of that. Um, so your next card that you selected for me is 1997 Flare Showcase Hot Gloves um, of Derek Jeter. Tell me a little bit about this set and why you chose it. So,
1: aesthetically speaking, this is one of my favorite cards. You know, it's just got this great image of uh, Jeter running. It looks like he's running to, you know, make a, a diving stop in the hole. Um, there's a glove in the background with these flames coming up. Um, I remember being excited reading Beckett for this set coming out because it said they were printed with um, special thermal inks. And I remember actually talking with my, my friends who collected uh, back then and were like, whoa, I wonder if it's color-changing thermal ink." So, there was some... You know, kind of personal nostalgia collection—I should say recollection—for me for this card, uh, and and it's a pretty cheap pickup for a relatively tough to find Jeter insert. You can still pick this one up for you know on under two hundred dollars if you catch it right, and it's die cut. It had all the the '90s bells and whistles and uh, flair. You know, has a has a pretty good baseball heritage as well. It began in '93. Okay, so as I mentioned, there is a basketball equivalent to this. Now, obviously,
0: we don't use gloves, you know, or mitts in basketball so that it would have a different name. Um, and that was ninety six ninety seven Flare showcase hot shots. So a lot of people are probably familiar with that because there's some big players in that. Real quick, what I've noticed that if a uh, basketball set had, if if it had an insert in, let's say, 96 or 97, right, 96, 97, um, the FLIR version for baseball would typically be the second year. So if it was a 96, 97 basketball card and there was a FLIR baseball equivalent, it would be 97. Um, tops, not so much. It seemed like they didn't follow that same pattern. Um, you know, I don't know if we take anything from that, but I thought that was kind of interesting to see how they how the sequence went. Um, so people are, are very into the hot shots. And actually, you know, as with any sought after card, there's been some controversy regarding it um, and regarding alterations. I know there are flames, kind of at the top, it's like a die cut, as you mentioned, with the, the baseball version. Um, so the basketball version has seen some of those flames be trimmed or be shaved down if there's, you know, whiting on the the flames. Is that a big problem with the baseball set as well?
1: No, uh, because it's not the same in basketball in terms of the prices, I think is probably the main reason. I'm sure there is some of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but uh, I have not personally notice that in baseball. And again, it doesn't mean it's not happening on some level.
0: Um, So I'll also point out then something I thought was pretty cool. In 2003, uh, Fleer had a a basketball memorabilia set that kind of had some similar qualities that was called Hot Hands, which I I wasn't big on the memorabilia version. But then in 2004, 2005, uh, Fleer Showcase, they brought back Hot Hands as a die-cut basketball insert Um, and that's, it's a tough set. It's got LeBron in it. It's actually got Ron Artest in it, which I haven't seen one in a couple of years. I've been trying to pick one up. I saw one in a lot and I foolishly let it go, which is ironic because I'm buying a lot of lots now. And then Fleer continued the hot gloves idea as well. I don't know um, if you have any of the later ones, but Upper Deck even made a version for one of their 2006 baseball sets and then I think I've seen it in hockey as recent as 2016. So it's it's kind of a cool reminder of the older years, um, and it's nice to have that in addition to some of the, I guess, seemingly endless heritage sets. Were you familiar with the baseball version from 2006?
1: I didn't collect from uh, basically, you know, my main thrust of my collection was middle school into early high school, and so at 94 to 98. Is when I, I, I kind of had my first round of collecting. I briefly got back into it around 2000, 2001 with all the, the hoopla around, um, poo holes and Ichiro. And then from 02 to 2009, I didn't collect anything at all. Uh, so a lot of that stuff, it, and, and to be honest, in, in basketball, that's some of the best stuff. In baseball, to me, that's kind of the worst, some of the worst stuff. It's kind of like a, a black hole for me in my, my, uh, collecting. All right. So the next card that we've got on
0: the list is the 1997 SPX grand finale. And I didn't write the player down. I'm assuming yours was Derek Jeter. So um, it's interesting. This is the lone upper deck insert or parallel on this list, but kind of similar to basketball. People will remember that. And I'm assuming it's the same with baseball. Upper deck went more of the hologram route. Tops was starting to dip their toes into the chromium card pool. Fleer went really heavy into the inserts in Radical Designs. Um, what was
1: up with Upper
0: Deck Baseball during this time?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you basically hit it on the head, you know, holograms versus refractors. And um, re- refractors won out, but it doesn't mean holograms weren't cool. And to, to me, this was, um, it, it was called the Grand, from what I understand, it was called the Grand Finale because it was Upper Deck's Grand Finale in terms of using the holograph technology within baseball set, uh, so this was like a—it's it, got that very gold. It's a gold tinted hologram as well, which kind of gives it this—I don't know. Just for me, it, it kind of encapsulates everything great about collecting in the '90s. It's die cut, it's gold foil, it's got you know a hologram built in. It's Derek Jeter, it's Yankees. Um, it. it so it really is a card that I, I was able to a- acquire this copy, and I acquired it in a PSA 9 holder, and um, I'm, I'm happy I did. It's really a great addition to my my collection, but I can say that there's only 50 copies. They're not numbered like they are in basketball. That's the one thing I wish it did have was, was oh, wow. a serial yeah, number. I, I just assumed that it, it had the, in fact, in basketball, it's got the
0: hand numbering, which I always thought was kind of cool, um, well, and scary at the same time, but... Um, basketball SPX was kind of confusing because they had the 96, 97 set, um, but there were no rookies in that. And then they had the 97 set that was just 97. It had Kobe, uh, but most people didn't classify that as his rookie. And then there was the 97, 98 set. Um, now your 97 Jeter grand finale looks very close to the 1997 basketball design, but then basketball didn't incorporate the grand finale parallel until the 97-98 set. So you know I thought all of that was, was really interesting. Um, but like you said, they're serial numbered to 50. And in basketball, that was becoming more of a bigger thing. Uh, it wasn't numbered to like 2,700 or something like that. It actually was a really scarce card. So um, I didn't know there was a baseball version. So I learned something new every day. Okay, so let's keep moving. Let's look at a very popular one as far as basketball goes. It's for baseball as well, I think. 1998 Skybox um, Essential Credentials Future for Derek Jeter. Um, And this is, you know, basketball people will know this as the pink and red looking credential set from 97-98. And I talked all about that on episode 25 and the mirrored numbering. So did baseball keep this same mirrored numbering or how was their set set up?
1: Yeah. So I, I own the Jeter, um, essential credential future card and the fu- future one. I actually like the look of the future one better than the now. The now had like the, mm-hmm. the green and yellow and, and the future had the, the purple and, you know, kind of hot pink. To me, these are cards that really pop. Basketball led the way with kind of establishing the popularity with these. The 98 to me is, this is actually one of my favorite, if not my favorite Jeter card, uh, that I own. It's numbered to 94. And I think that would make the, the now card be number to five, if I'm not mistaken. I think they it's the two numbers have to add up to ninety nine if I'm not mistaken. Okay.
0: So, you know, this has obviously become one of the bigger basketball parallel or insert sets over time. So um I know you've had some exposure to that already. Has the um reception and popularity of baseball is it anywhere close to basketball, or do you think it will ever get to that point?
1: Um I don't No. Uh, and actually kind of hope not if, if for, for the sake of people who are collecting in baseball uh, you know, because then the, the prices would go through the roof for them to, to buy them. But I do think it's, it's beginning to get more kind of um, hobby love for lack of a better term. I, I've noticed myself just even looking for commons, the prices are, are going up on them. I'm guessing that's
0: probably the trickle down from basketball. It's just like we talked about with some of
1: the Prism stuff. And and I think the trickle down. I don't think it's fully hit baseball yet. I actually think it's hit football more than baseball. I mean, I there, there, there probably could be some de- debate about this, but it, it definitely has has hit football in the modern stuff. You know, football collectors now seek out Prism Select National Treasure cards, whereas as in baseball, obviously the licensing is a big deal, and, and Tops is still king, but there there has been some. Trickle down into the popular basketball sets, um, but by the prices going up of the, of the sets we're talking about, like the essential credentials, like the, the grand finales as well. So some of the rarer stuff that does have kind of parallel baseball sets to the, the basketball set, it, I think it is beginning to gain a little. All right, so the next card on your list is
0: not a Derek Jeter card, but it is a Yankee card, and it is the 1998 Bowman's Best Atomic Refractor of Orlando Hernandez, or some people might know him as El Duque, and we were talking some about this card previously before we got on. Can you describe this one for us visually? What's it look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's the cracked ice parallel that you see now, uh, in Prism. Uh, you know, Panini kind of has a way of not only recycling concepts, but recycling looks. I think of a lot of the successful baseball and, and basketball stuff of that era. And I mean, this card, it's, it's got chromium. It's got the, the cracked ice foil, you know, designed to it. And it's got a great image of El Duque pitching and it. it, it's his you know, true rookie card. So this one actually
0: has a basketball parallel. A lot of people probably are familiar with it, with the 1998-99 Bowman's Best Atomic Refractor set, and in basketball, they're numbered to 100. It's the same uh, visually as the regular refractor numbered to 400, except like you said, it has that cracked ice finish to it. I feel like the basketball base set is a little more uniform because it has the gold waves at the top and the bottom, whereas the... The baseball version kind of has a couple of circles. It looked like they were positioned in different different areas on the card, depending on where the player and kind of how they were positioned. But um, they both look good, though. I I don't suppose we have to have a clear-cut better version, so to speak. Have you seen any of the basketball atomic refractors in person?
1: At card shows, I don't own any of them. To be honest, 98 Bowman's best across the board. It's a beautiful product. It really is. And I think basketball if I'm not mistaken has this kind of uh, I think they called it hyper plaid at one point. This it's almost like checkerboard looking refractive pattern on some of the cards or maybe mm-hmm. that's a different Bowman's best year for basketball, but that's a really I, I, to me that's very um very appealing.
0: Yeah, and um I've noticed with some of the well especially with some of the tops chrome later on um, some of the, the football and the basketball, like the, some of the golds would pop in some sports for the same years and it wouldn't in others. Um, but you've noticed seeing both of these cracked dice or the both of the atomic refractors in person, they are the same, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, to my knowledge, they are, yeah. All right, the next
0: one um, that you had on your list is back to another Derek Jeter card it was 1999 Fleer Mystique, and the set was called Established. You know, I had never heard of this for baseball, so. Um, can you tell me a little bit about this and and why you included this?
1: So I, I included this one because, you know, visually, to, to me, this one has everything. It's got a beautiful tie-dye. Where have you heard that before? There's the tie-dye prisms, I think, in Select. Um, it's got this tie-dye background to it. There's a black and white action photo of Jeter. It has red foil. It's numbered to a 100. And by the way, it's refractive on both sides, which is kind of unique. But to me, the best part is, there's no parallel to this. This is this is an insert. There's 100 copies and that's it.
0: Um, yeah, when you sent me a picture of this card, like I said, there there wasn't a, a basketball equivalent that really jumped out at me. So then I, I kind of got to thinking about Mystique and 1999 was the first year of Mystique for basketball. I don't ever remember it being a real popular product. Um, it stuck around for a few years. It, it weathered out the horrible... Rookie class of 2000 um, it eventually showed up again in 2003 for LeBron, which a lot of things did but it didn't come back after that and maybe that was bankruptcy related but you know 2003 was the last baseball version I could find as well. So I, I tried to think what could be the basketball equivalent to that and the only serial numbered mystique insert that really came to mind was Raise the Roof, which is a very popular. For basketball, and I think that might be it. Even though they don't look exactly the same, but both of them have that red serial number on the bottom middle, and they're numbered to a hundred. So, do you know about that parallel, and and have you ever thought about how maybe they could be the equivalent?
1: No, I, only what you've mentioned when you were trying to we you know we discussed before the uh, what could be the the equivalent, uh, but I had never uh, considered the two of them together. I think that's an interesting though because that kind of red serial number was indicative of, of some of the FLIR stuff from that era. And I think, I think 99, 98, 99 is kind of the height of FLIR for me. I don't know about for, for you and for uh, basketball collectors.
0: Yeah, I would say, uh, and I'm not a a 90s guy specifically, but I would say, yeah, 97, kind of in that range, 97, 98. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm sure people out there have some differences of opinion, but I, I think it was around that range, at least in those two to three years. Okay, so I made sure to close with two sets that had um, definite basketball equivalents and two sets that I hope listeners can visualize, or at least they can find fairly easy. So um, the first one that I want to talk about from your list is 1998 uh, Flair Showcase Legacy Collection Row 2. It's a masterpiece one of one of Scott Brocious. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit about Scott Brocious too, because that's not
1: Derek Jeter. No, no. So, um <laughs> so for some of the sets where Jeter's out of my price range and, and you know, we all have what we're comfortable paying for cards, those are the sets I try to aim for some of the the key guys, the the Yankee role players and and Brocius is is one of those guys on the Yankees that again, the stat sheet uh if you look at the stat sheet, it's not that impressive, but he, he always came up with a big hit in key spots, you know, he was the MVP. Of the um, of the '98 World Series against the Padres, when people talk about the Yankees' eras of the late '90s versus the early 2000s, you know, in early 2000s the Yankees were racking up all the wins in the regular season, you know, 103 win seasons here and there. And but it was guys like Sheffield and Giambi and um, Kevin Brown that really tanked in in the postseason. They didn't live up to expectations. Whereas the '90s Yankees. Had guys like you know Tino Martinez, uh, Paul O'Neill, uh, Scott Brocious, uh Joe Girardi as a player, and these guys were, were just clutch. And so the Yankee fans have a definite affinity for guys like Scott Brocious, you know, kind of these um, these these clutch niche players who whose cards, even uh, a one of one masterpiece card like that from the '90s, won't set you back any more than two hundred bucks. Okay. So I feel like,
0: uh, and I will point out here, the basketball equivalent is the 9899 row two masterpiece. Um, and, uh, I don't go out of my way to search these, but I can't remember seeing very many of these for sale. I can't remember any recently. Um, so these are the kind of cards that get bought up and locked in, up in personal collections
1: for a long time. So what's the story behind this one? Yeah, I wanted a good Scott Brocious card for a while, and, um, about, yeah, probably about four years ago now, maybe five, it, it just happened to see it pop up on eBay. I, I snapped it with a buy it now. I made sure it was legit. I, I knew the 98 set had some problems with some backdoor serial numbering. Uh, I wasn't too aware of that with 99, but nevertheless, I, I compared it wasn't a second copy or a backdoor copy to, to the best of my knowledge. Um, and, um, you know, it just, just one of, again, one of those attractive, snazzy looking, colorful 90s cards. It's one of one. And, you know, for baseball collectors, 97 flare Showcase was the first product with one of ones in it. And so it's it's a 99, the one I own. But uh, nevertheless, uh, it, it does have that heritage to it.
0: All right. So let's take a look at our last card on your list, um, which is not a player that I you know, envisioned being on this list, but um, hopefully we'll get some insight as to why. It's a 1999 Fleer Ultra Platinum Medallion um, card of David Wells. And real quick, for those that are wondering, this is the equivalent of the 98-99 Platinum Medallion set for basketball. What made you choose 1999? And then what made you choose David Wells?
1: Yeah, so Wells is another one of those guys who um, is, you know, close to the heart of Yankee fans because he, again, wasn't as big of a star as, as say, Roger Clemens, but he's more beloved today. And, um, you know, he threw a perfect game in uh, May of 1998. It was Beanie Baby Day at Yankee Stadium. I actually had some uh, high school friends who went to that game. The photo, it's a horizontally oriented card, and... It's the photo features his teammates carrying him off after the perfect game. And he's a big man, too. I mean, David Wells was, you know, kind of well-known for beer drinking skills and late-night partying when he was with the— And I think, if I recall, he was out partying with the cast of Saturday Night Live the night before he pitched his perfect game. So he, he was hungover, according to his own story. You know, I think, for me, the best thing about certain cards is they capture a moment in time. And the reason I picked this one, it's actually, I would call it one of my favorite cards in my collection overall, because it, it captures that moment in May of 98 where Wells was on top of the world. You know, that, that this is the height of this man's baseball career, um, was, was right after pitching that, that game. And there he is. I think Daryl Strawberry and Hideki Urabu are two of the players uh, carrying him off there. There's a couple others in the background too. Uh, so it's really a great card. I mean, you even, uh, you saw a picture of it I sent you and you said it was how cool it was.
0: Yeah. And, and really when I think of Fleer Ultra for basketball, I do think of photography. Um, and like you said, it captures moments and um, I was looking through my stuff the other day and I don't have the platinum medallion of this, but there, there's a Kobe card where him and Shaq are embracing after the 2000 NBA finals. And of course, where of course my Pacers lost and you see a dejected Austin Crozier in the background and for the longest time, I you know I wanted nothing to do with that card, but now it's it's kind of become part of my collection just because of the um, the date in history and kind of what it represented. And um, Ultra had a lot of in-game photography, and that was a big deal. And I think we miss out on that a lot today. Um, even all of the high-end stuff seems to have a lot of white backgrounds, but. You know, maybe that's why a lot of people in basketball have gravitated so much to. uh, There's a new set, I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Panini 1 and 1. And it's two cards per box, but the photography on it's awesome. And people have really, uh, really seemed to appreciate that. So hopefully Panini sees that. All right, so as we close out today, um, you know, I'm thinking how much just from having talked to you prior to this, and we talk about Prism and we talk about kind of the modern market and, and what it's doing. Um, I know you've immersed yourself quite a bit in that modern basketball world, uh, like a lot of guys from other sports have, because, you know, quite frankly, it's just been so much fun lately. I said it earlier uh, basketball is king right now. And um, I know a lot of this is because, you know, a lot of your forays into basketball at least are because I think they can help you fund some Jeter purchases that you've always wanted. And maybe also it's fun. I don't want to speak for you. Uh, But have you been tempted now that you're looking at your baseball and now that you're kind of into basketball, have you been tempted to go back and pick up any of these basketball
1: parallels or are you just going to keep your distance? Uh, I have picked up a few here and there. You know, I have a a Jordan hot numbers in, in PSA 10. Tend to pick up the ones that I do remember. Uh, I have a, a good friend. I'm still friends with him today, Mike, who collected basketball pretty heavily. And this is going to sound crazy, but he was a a BJ Armstrong fan <laughs> okay. uh, back in the '90s. Uh, yeah, and he, you know, I think it was because he wrote to a bunch of players, and he was the one who responded and sent him a signed card. And I remember he had a box of '95 Finest. He pulled a Garnett rookie, and his refractor was Mitch Richmond. Uh, you know that's how specific certain things you can remember are right uh, but that was one i wanted to get the the hot numbers jordan i did i was able to pick one of those up before they really shot up i do like the 96 i think it's the gold uh, finest card of kobe w- which um i think it also is not as subject to some of the greening and, and we would differ that i i hate greening mm-hmm. and and i don't know if all cards will eventually green but I try to buy examples right now that are not green yeah. presently. Whereas I'm buying
0: Incredible Hulk copies because I, if I can get them for really cheap and I think they're all going to get that way anyway, um,
1: it's just part of it for me, I guess. I, I don't know. You know, Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. They probably will. But in in 100 years, if mine gets green, that's fine. <laughs> right. Uh, so... <laughs> Somebody else can deal with it. Right, yeah. And by then, it it, it might be um, – like, the one example I always remember from basketball is the – was it Dunkin' Go Nuts where people were trying to sell <laughs> – The gold parallels. Sell like gold and – yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, that's, it, that's very laughable. I think I've sent you a picture of
0: it. We've talked about the credentials on this episode. I have the Jalen Rose credentials, um, the year where they did the gold and silver, and I have the gold version. Um, this, you know, the serial number, the actual credentials version. And then I have a base card that's yellowed and I took a picture of them together and, you know, they kind of look similar. Um, I, and I thought that was funny. I, I said, hey, look at my
1: my gold parallels. It, it is funny when you see people try to push this stuff and then, uh, you know, obviously the big joke is eBay one of one type of language that people use to try to sell it. But I mean, even at anything plastic from that era, like the old Super Nintendo old old uh nintendo entertainment system they they were gray but now they have that kind of uh golden patina to them uh, i think the same thing happened a lot unfortunately a lot of these acetate cards for that era but uh, you know i guess when new technology comes out there's some bugs and unfortunately for us collectors one of the bugs of the, the chromium stuff is they they turn green and it's funny because like some of the the white players look almost ghostly and then a lot of the 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 black players look kind of greenish yeah so there is there's even differences in, <laughs> in some of the, the skin but it, for whatever reason it affects skin tones more than it does some of the background there there are some uh, Rick Smith's finest cards
0: that are just frightening <laughs> You probably can't even see them. All right. Well, um, as always, Dan, it was a pleasure talking with you. And and I want to give you the same courtesy here that I give all of my guests. Um, Is there anything that you would like to plug or anything maybe that you're looking for that um, that listeners would be able to help you out with? Um, This time is yours.
1: Yeah. So uh, as you know, Kyle, I I am trying to build the 2018 Kevin Herter Prism Rainbow. I don't don't, (laughs) – I can't believe I tried this. Uh, I have all the parallels except for the two one-of-ones. I know the Nebula exists. I was too cheap to pull the trigger. At I think it ended up selling for like $1,500 uh, a year and a half ago. So uh, if anybody comes across the Black or the Nebula one-of-one one prism of, of Herder's rookie, uh, hit me up on Blowout, and um, we'll see if we can we can strike
0: a deal. All right, yeah, and if you guys can't find him, shoot me a message. I'll get in touch with him. Let's find, Dan, those one-on-ones. Okay, thanks again, Dan, and I'll be
1: talking with you soon. And one, one more thing. Yeah. One more thing, Kyle, I do have a present for you I will be sending. Okay, what's that? Um, and uh, you'll, yeah, well, yeah, it, it is a Jeff Foster card that I guarantee you don't have, and you can post it on your uh, Instagram okay. once you receive it. I guarantee you don't have this card. Okay, well, now I'm intrigued because the
0: uh, Jeff Foster overall checklist is not massive. So I'm intrigued now. We'll put it that way. All right, Dan. I appreciate it. We'll be talking soon. Thanks, Kyle. Sounds good. Bye-bye now. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Dan for taking some time to come on the show and share his experiences with baseball and basketball inserts. This was something a little different than I've done before. I know there you know, was a lot of baseball stuff there, but uh, it really was meant to be geared towards us basketball collectors and I think getting some perspective from other sides or other sports can, in a sense, teach you something you didn't know or realize about your own. And I appreciate Dan's perspective. So maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Podcast, And I'm also on Twitter under at WaxMuseumPC. If you enjoyed today's episode... I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, because you're going to buy through eBay anyway, right? Uh, this works very similar to the Fanatics link in that you can go to www.tinyurl.com WMPod. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow that click. It's a simple way to support the show.